Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Regan Skaggs, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two great ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today, we bring you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive titled, We Are a Unit and Very White Looking. So today on the show, as per usual, we'll play the stories and pause in between each to have a conversation about what the storytellers experience. And Allison, I'm going to toss it back to you since you chose the stories today. Do you want to talk a little bit why you chose uh, this pairing? Yeah, in some ways it was slightly random. Um, I was curious about some of the more recent stories that we've posted to our website, which is welcomeproject.velpo.edu. And I saw the second story that we're going to be playing today um, called Very White Looking. And when I was reviewing that story, it was, as we'll come to find out, it's about a student at Valpo who's um, biracial or bicultural or bi-ethnic. And that student is reflecting on some of the ways that they felt they had to make choices about which part of their identity they aligned with. And that reminded me of an earlier story that we had done. Um, I think the one that we're going to play first is like we have posted it to our website 2014. So that's eight years ago already. And that's probably about when we interviewed um, the person that we're going to hear from first is actually uh, she was a student at Valpo, um, but she also became a, a staff and faculty member there. So I thought it would be interesting to hear how someone is reflecting on their Mexican-American heritage different parts of their life as an adult and then as a as a new student at Valpo. Awesome. So then this first story is titled, We Are a Unit. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of um, free freedom. Freedom, yes. So the parents value freedom. The parents value their kids' freedom and say, be independent, go out and make your own good decisions, make your own mistakes and that kind of thing. Whereas Mexican parents are like, you're staying home, not going anywhere. I, you know, I don't trust those other people. I don't trust you to not make mistakes. So it's whether to keep your kids close to you and not let them go out or let them kind of roam free. And I think I'm much more probably towards the American side where I let my, my kids be a lot more independent. My parents were really, really strict and um, they were very, <laughs> um, they didn't want us um, going out all the time. So um, they thought, stay close to home and, and don't go out late and that kind of thing. And they were pretty extreme about it. <laughs> I think with my kids, I'm a lot more aware of the fact that you can't have such a strict code and expect children to live with other kids who will have such an extreme opposite, whereas like the, the kids are allowed to do basically almost whatever they want. I think the U.S. has a very individualistic view of, of people. So 
you're responsible for yourself and you're responsible for your actions and your success and your failures. So each person takes responsibility for their own actions. And I feel like in the Mexican culture, while you sort of have some accountability for your actions, you're also responsible for your family's actions. So if my sister makes a big mistake, I have to answer for that mistake in a way. I have, I re, she's representing the whole family when she makes mistakes. So as a part of the family, I have to help her get out of the problem or help her resolve the problem because it, it, we're a unit. We're not just an individual. So it's not like, well, you made a mistake, you're on your own. Um, it's more of like our family, this person in our family in our unit made a mistake. We have to get her out of that trouble and help her out of it. Um, neither is wrong. I see the qualities of both, of being an individual and taking responsibility for your own actions, but I also see the um, kind of honor in, in saying, well, you know what, you messed up, and even if you messed up 20 times, we're still going to accept you and uh, fix your problems. And, and I remember hearing things um, like on the American side, like, well, if you continue to help people with their problems, they're never going to be able to fix them on their own, or they're just going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And to an extent, maybe that might be true, but each situation is so unique and different that that's not always the case. You could apply both uh, cultural aspects and still be correct in my mind. Like I thought, they both have great points. And um, while they're two different decisions, you know, I think if you were only immersed in American culture, you would obviously see one as the right decision. And if you were only immersed in Mexican culture, you would see one as obviously the correct decision. Mm -hmm. So for me, I just thought I, I can see why both people would think. And I, you know, I think for those kinds of issues, I would probably tend to be more Mexican. Um, and then there's other ones that I'd probably be more American in. You're listening to WVLP 103.1 FM. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And today we have two stories from our Welcome Project archive that are thinking about um, what it means to be raised both with your Mexican and American cultural identities. So this first story that we heard from is someone reflecting on being raised Mexican and American and then how she's thinking about certain traits of both cultures and replying that to how she's thinking about raising her kids too. I don't know, do we just wanna start with a more general, what stood out to you from the story or if there was anything confusing about it? Cause we did just jump in or the story jumps in without a lot of context. So I might be able to provide some clarity too, if we need that. I mean, the thing for me that stands out is like, there's, I don't know, she grew up in sort of this like pull of the kids that were around her or that she saw other kids having a lot of like freedom and like, I don't know, they were just like individuals that could make their own choices and that her parents were a lot more protective and really wanted to, I don't know, keep her at home, make sure nothing sort of happened to her. And I think that's so interesting. And I never sort of thought about it as like, um, like a cultural difference before. Like, I don't know, I guess I just always assumed that it's like, okay, some parents are really strict and some parents aren't. And I don't know, that was really interesting for me that she was talking about it more as like how in the Mexican culture you would 
you know, you're more responsible for your family. And so that's maybe the reason why you don't have as much freedom as a kid. And I think it's, I, di I didn't realize like having a freedom as a kid is like such an American thing either. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, I don't know how I didn't die as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like I had too much freedom. <laughs> Uh, Reagan, you're agreeing, so say more. <laughs> I just also was not a well-supervised child, <laughs> you know, and like, I think part of it is exactly what the speaker is talking about, but part of it is like, I think like, because Americans maybe have like less of the value or more emphasis on like hyper-independence, especially if you are a poor parent, like at least again, again, I'm speaking for like poor white people in America, not just everybody, but just generally, you know, if the kid, the oldest kid kind of has it together, like you kind of leave the other kids with the oldest kid, like kind of have to just hope that they'll not do anything terrible. I mean, there's, you know, daycare is extremely expensive in this country. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. And like, the hyper individualisticness of like maybe not having family nearby or not having family or having family that is also working poor and cannot watch your child, you know? Yeah, I wonder uh, because the speaker's raised in America, her parents would have been immigrants. And so uh, the, the line, you're staying home, not going anywhere, I don't trust those other people. I, I wonder about part of this, you know, being in a new culture where you're not sure if the other parents or people around you, um, maybe not particularly in your neighborhood, I'm assuming they might've been in a Mexican-American neighborhood just because of the way our neighborhoods are segregated. But I wonder if some of it was like, like we have to be extra strict, extra cautious because the rest of the culture around us doesn't reflect what we know and how we, you know, how we would raise our kids. So We've got to be really even more mindful, uh, maybe in this case too, to make sure that there are certain aspects of Mexican culture that do actually get cultivated in the children because they're not going to be getting it just by going to school or going to church or going out on the streets, shopping, that kind of thing. Um, I do think that the, the difference that she names later between you know, being individualistic and being responsible for your own actions um, versus a more collective sense of responsibility and accountability that comes from Mexican culture. Like I've heard people from Chinese American families talk about this too. That feels like something that probably isn't necessarily related to being an immigrant, but is just a really different way of thinking about how do we take care of each other or how do we build our own moral characters? Do we do that by leaving you to clean up your own messes kind of thing, which I think is what I hear her at least associating with a U.S. culture. And then do, or do we build moral character by taking care of each other? I feel, she says, I feel like in the Mexican culture, you sort of have some accountability for your actions, but you're also responsible for your family's actions. So if my sister makes a big mistake, I have to answer for that in some way. She's representing the whole family when she makes mistakes. So I have to help her get out of the problem or help her resolve the problem because it's for the family unit. And um, 
I hear that as an outsider because <laughs> like, I don't really know what that feels like, looks like. I mean, maybe that's not entirely true, but I definitely feel very aware of being raised by parents where, you know, if I did something wrong, like I would be held responsible for that. And then you know, take the punishment or whatever, but I, I don't remember it necessarily reflecting so much on the family, but I don't know now that I'm saying that I'm thinking about like, um, so, you know, I did not identify as queer growing up. Like I didn't have models of queer folk in my life. It wasn't really on my radar, except as a, like a religious kind of like, that's sinful. And I think there was some implantation in my mind that you know, if you were gay, you weren't quite human. So like, I didn't know any gay people because I didn't know any non-human people. But I do feel like when I came out to my mom, like through my relationship with my partner, Liz, now, I think that there was probably some part of her that felt like she might, if she had to, if other people knew that her daughter was gay, that that would reflect poorly on her like she would have done something really wrong and how she raised me or, and that, that kind of my, since she's seen my being gay as like wrong, that wrongness would reflect on the family. So maybe it's not as foreign as I thought. That's going really far <laughs> feel from the story. I don't know. Can you, can you two pull it back? <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I mean, my brain kind of went there too. Like, what does this mean in situations? Like my brain didn't think of like, like coming out, but my brain went to like um, people with substance abuse and how like in an American family, it's like, I could see that being more like, I don't know, either one person is helping or you're all kind of turning your backs on them and just being like, you have to figure it out yourself. And so I wonder if this is sort of like a, a, a similar thing like you know I think maybe in American culture it still would maybe if you have a family member with a substance abuse issue like some people in your family would feel like that reflects badly on your family but it it feels like what differs based on what our storyteller says about Mexican culture is that like I feel like even though in an American family if you felt like that reflected poorly on you like you still don't feel like I don't know but maybe it's different for like a parent but I feel like culpability there or like the the responsibility to sort of I don't know take care of that person or be with that person is is less like yes I feel like this reflects badly on me but I don't feel like I have to I don't know do anything and so I I, I really wonder like what that dynamic would look like in Mexican culture like what is what does it mean to be a unit? And I think we get like a little bit of that from the storyteller, but I don't know, I'm really drawn to that, like interested in like, what is like for extreme situations like that? Like what, how would we each approach that from an American standpoint and from like a Mexican cultural standpoint? And so that's, I mean, that's what I think of when she says like, I, when the storyteller says, I see good from, I don't know both viewpoints like she kind of takes pieces from both and I and I wonder if that's part of it like there's something really I don't know like joining or I don't know like supportive of being a unit and sort of being responsible for one another 
and then also you know the freedom part of it too but Reagan I saw you nodding your head when I was talking about substance abusers I I have a I also have a family member that is a, a substance abuser. So the speaker definitely, you know, is talking about like this, this cultural like demarcation between like her experience growing up as like a Mexican American immigrant. And then like, as like an American, like second gen or first gen, I'm not sure parent now living, continuing to live in America. And I think that this collectivist slash individualistic thing, I, I think it's, partially generational and I also think that it's partially it's something that Americans talk more than they walk like even if you take my loved one who is very much like bankrolled supported by certain people in my family uh you can also but we don't talk about the addiction part because that's like embarrassing or that like reflects badly on everybody else we just talk about like oh this person has problems like and that has to stay within the family, which it's, if you talk about it outside of that, then you are, you are just telling people's business. You are, you are telling like the family's business. It's not this individual's business. It's, it's the family's business that this person has this problem. But I do think that it's like, when I look at the structures that like my family has built, it's very like, if you objectively look at it, it's very financially dependent on a few members of my family and then the, the rest of the family being very like dependent on those people. Um, but they will never say that. They will continue to like talk about having these like individualistic values and having these individualistic accomplishments while not mentioning the the collectivism that it took to get them to whatever version of individualistic that they are at. Um, so it's I just feel like it's it's more of a walk or a talk than a walk. And I think that's probably true for other cultures too. Like I'm sure a lot of cultures that are more collectivistic may not be as collectivistic as like maybe they say or like it goes family by family, just like anything else. But I don't know. It's so hard when you're in it. How do you evaluate that? Yeah, I mean, I think I hear you talking about something that I would say is like just more fundamental to reality that if we, any of us, whichever culture we're from, if we stop and pause and think about how did I get here? <laughs> like even to being alive, <laughs> you know, that is through the lives and hopefully care of, of other people. Um, and you can think about that generationally. You can also think about it in terms of um, like resources, like did your family have the food and safety they needed. And if they didn't, did they have resilience in the face of that? So like none of us actually get anywhere without, without other people and at some fundamental level without like the whole freaking earth, <laughs> you know, like, so I, I, that's what I heard you talking about a little bit at the end. And I, I wonder if, I don't know if that matches up with, with this idea of a a family unit culture versus an individualistic unit culture. Like, I feel like both cultures could fail to really see how indebted we are and how interconnected we are. Um, but that's more of like a, a spiritual awareness. And I feel like at least the way that this storyteller is talking, she's thinking more about like, um, hmm, I don't know, like, individual like actions and choices 
and it's more like a social dynamic as opposed to this more fundamental spiritual um, awareness. So I think any culture could kind of be talking the talk and not walking the walk when it comes to when it comes to that. But I don't know, maybe I'm pushing it a little bit too too much. Uh, this is WVLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. And you're listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And we're <laughs> we're we're doing something, I, I don't know, like we're not necessarily staying on task in ways that we do in the past. Like for those of you that have, have heard the show before or haven't, we usually try to really listen into what a storyteller is saying and then eventually work back to like interpreting um, what we think about it. But I feel like we're starting to try to make connections to our own lives a little bit more quickly than we usually do. And maybe it's because as, as three, I, I don't know how long ago your family were immigrants to the country, but like that reality for me is very <clears throat> far afield. I, I do feel, I guess, like somehow my German family, because my, both my parents' families go back to Germany. Like I do feel like that culture influenced my American upbringing too, but I think it just reinforced the American upbringing as opposed to felt like something in competition with it, um, at least as far as individualism goes. So I, I don't know, like maybe because we can't identify so much with the speaker, uh, like I don't know, how would she answer the question about like, what would be in a, Mex a Mexican family approach to addiction um, or how you know, like, like it's hard to, to guess, I think for me at least, into um, some of the features of this culture, Mexican culture she's talking about. Like, it's just, it's not something I'm familiar with. So I feel like I'm having to apply my own experience because I don't know how to get inside of her, which is interesting. Well, and I think, I don't know, to kind of go back a little bit on task, I think part of it is, has to be, like, I know you talked about maybe like Allison, I know you talked about maybe that folks, like the parents felt less comfortable because they're, you know, they're immigrants, they're in a, a, a new-ish place, they're maybe not surrounded by people that they are like familiar with or that, that look like them. And I think that's also something that a lot of communities of color deal with in America is wanting to ensure that your child is like safe, not just from like the typical things that endanger children, but also, you know, like racism like you want your child to not be in a position where they can be any more than they automatically are where they can be treated poorly by like other children or other adults simply due to race I, I don't imagine that doesn't take a part of it it's also reminding me a little bit of of hearing from some of our storytellers of color who talk about you know if if you are um, black, for example, like you have to perform above and beyond perfect because you're somehow representing not just yourself, but your entire race in the face of white supremacy, which sees something morally flawed in people of color and black people in particular. So I do think that that maybe shares some features of what this storyteller is thinking about with family units, um, in this case, even like a larger unit, it's like a cultural unit, like a racial cultural unit that's been, I don't know, um, 
cultivated through this culture we have of white supremacy and seeing hierarchies between based on race. I wonder, you know, before we hit the sort of halfway point in our show, like what you all made of her at the end of the story where she's talking about neither cultural approaches right or wrong. Um, and like, I, I hear her at the end thinking, you know, if you're only immersed in American culture, you're ob obviously going to see individualism and self-responsibility as the right decision and the thing to cultivate in your children or to expect of your neighbors. And if you're only immersed in Mexican culture, you would, you would see more of this family or collectivist culture as the right way to form people. I don't, what do you think she might be getting at here with as somebody who was raised in both cultures that she's seen that both can be correct or maybe she's saying there's no such thing as correct. <laughs> How do you read her sort of insight at the end here? I don't know, it's really interesting the way you posed it because I didn't necessarily think of it in that way. Like I was thinking of it as like the American culture and the Mexican culture ways both have I don't know, sort of pitfalls and both have sort of like, I don't know, things that really resonate with her. And so she sort of like, I don't know, maybe picks from both of them. So it's it's interesting to think about that like, there isn't necessarily like a right or wrong way. I don't know, that's really interesting. But she doesn't really tell us like what aspects from each culture she found like that she would pick as correct and sort of like take in with her. So, so we don't get, sort of a full look, but I don't know. But I mean, based on what she talks about in her upbringing, I mean, she's reflecting on the fact that like sort of the kids around her had a lot more freedom. And so it sounds like she's sort of that aspect of like being kept at home is sort of like stayed with her. Like she's, she's felt more limited. So I wonder if it's sort of something like that. Like she's picking, I don't know, maybe there's some aspects of freedom. She says, even with her own kids, she wants them to be individuals and have freedom. But there's obviously something that she still values about like the collectivism that's in Mexican culture. But yeah, I wish we could just know more about, about the two, <laughs> the, the things that she's bringing together to create this like collective experience for her kids. Like how is she blending these together? I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm looking at the part of the story where she talks about, um, you know, with her kids, I think she's aware that it could be really, maybe based on her own experience, how strange it would be to be raised um, in a way that's so out of step with what your peers are experiencing. So I, I think I hear her recognizing that, um, if this is if this is so contextual and like she's learned a lot about how you know there's no correct cultural way of raising children or taking responsibility then she she wants to make sure her kids don't feel like out of step with their peers but i'm guessing that she based on her way of speaking there's things that she really appreciates about her culture too. So I would think that then she would wanna find a way to also be sharing that with her children. And I wonder maybe when we get to our second story, even though it's not her child, <laughs> like it could be interesting to hear from the, you know, closer still to the kid perspective, uh, how challenging it might be 
to uh, still be straddling, you know, like what happens when your parents really give more precedence to the American style or the American culture or American expectations. Um, so anyway, we can see how that might play out here. So this is WVLP-LP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. And we rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. So if that mission is consonant for you and uh, something you also believe in, please consider supporting this station by visiting our website, wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax deductible and we'd sure appreciate it. So this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, and you're here with me, Allison Schutte, Willa Walsh, Reagan Skaggs. Today on Listen Up, we've been discussing what it might be like to straddle cultures and both of our storytellers today are thinking from a Mexican and an American perspective. So should we go ahead and play the second story then? Are we ready for that? Okay. So this one is called Very White Looking and it is a much more recent interview done with a student at Valparaiso University. So my dad's from Mexico and my mom's from Wisconsin. So I'm really Mexican American. And he decided that we live in America, we're gonna speak English. It was that kind of mentality. He also comes from a huge family and he's the only one who married an American. They all married someone from back home. Even if they came here first, they got their wife back in Mexico in the little town. Um, almost arranged marriages, kind of. Very like, let me put it this way, he didn't have electricity until he was like 16. So there's that. And I don't look Mexican at all. I definitely look like my mom, very, very white <laughs> looking. And it's always been a struggle because my last name is very prominently um, Mexican. It's been really difficult trying to toe the line of being both and not. When I was in middle school, we had moved and I was going to middle school with cousins on my dad's side, so some of my Mexican cousins who definitely looked it. And I definitely had my, you know, kind of air-quoted white friends. I was in accelerated classes, I was doing theater, I was doing band, I was doing all these things that, you know, the kids in my school who were Mexican didn't do. And so when I was introduced to my cousin's friends, they wouldn't believe me that I was their cousin. And I remember having to make a distinct choice of who I was going to hang out with. Would I hang out with my white friends who had the same interests as me and who wanted the same goals that I did, including college? Or was I going to hang out with my cousins who slacked off in school and didn't put the effort in and didn't really have a very good attitude about school or about anything besides themselves? I made my white friends. I stayed with that. And um, when I got to high school, I... <laughs> I was supposed to go right into accelerated classes my freshman year. And what had happened was I got my, my list of classes during the summer and none of them were accelerated. Or like one of them was, I can't remember. I called my school counselor and was like, what's the matter with this? And there had been a mistake. 
I had had cousins go before me with the same last name who had dropped out, who had not done well, who had barely squeaked by, and so the mistake was that they assumed with me. From that point on, I kind of tried to hide the fact that I was half Mexican. Or not necessarily hide, just not really discuss it. Not really have it a part of the conversation or a part of who I was. I didn't want it to be a part of who I was. It has played a lot more since I've come to college, actually. Working in the multicultural office has helped me really take a look at what identity means for myself. And something that I have started to embrace is the fact that I am multicultural. I don't have one facet to my cultural identity, just like my identity in general. It's very dual-natured, having the Mexican aspect and the American aspect, and really understanding that I can try to keep that Mexican heritage and understand what that means in terms of the struggles and that my dad has faced being an immigrant. The man worked three jobs at one point, like, but also understanding that he came here for a purpose to make a better life for his children, which he has done. He came from nothing, and I'm going to college and then off to a master's program. You're listening to WVLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso and streaming live at WVLP.org. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with me, Allison Judy, Willa Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And both of our stories today are from storytellers reflecting on what it means to have been raised in a family with Mexican cultural heritage and American cultural heritage. Uh, Reagan, let's start with you this time, if that's okay. Like, what popped out to you first in this story? I struggle with this story a little bit, just because I think I just had a moment very similar to like one I described earlier where I was almost like embarrassed or like a little mad that she like said that about her cousins you know what I mean and I I know that that's not my business and that I'm I'm past the moment now but I just had a moment of like I can't believe that you would also say that about your family like I just had that moment but I mean it is her it's her experience she's allowed to have her experience she's allowed to talk about her experience before you move on from that, Reagan, like, say what you thought her, her experience was so that, do you know what I mean? Like, I want to hear a little bit more clearly what you were reacting against. So what did you hear her saying, even if you're unsure that you should be judgmental about it? Or maybe you're um, not unsure that you should <laughs> be, but you feel bad maybe that you are because this is Welcome Project Radio and we're not supposed to be judgmental here. <laughs> well, I, you know, you never want to be that person. Um, and I hate that I am being that person. But <laughs> I, I struggle because I, what I hear, and like I understand I'm bringing my own baggage into this. What I hear is um, like, the person in this family who seems to be in the minority in their whiteness, calling the people in their family who may be less well-off than them and who are uh, people of color lazy. And I understand, like, my knee-jerk, that is, that is my knee-jerk reaction. I understand that she is not saying that all people who are Hispanic are lazy. She is praising her father. She works in the multicultural office. She is describing um, that benefiting her and, like, being able to, like, see all this other stuff but I just had I just had a moment where I was like I can't believe that this is how you are setting this story up I guess 
so that was that was a check-in moment for me <laughs> willow i see you nodding so like what what's happening for you there oh yeah no i i also had the same reaction that's that that moment stood out to me too and i think it's just i mean i think like on their own if you were to talk about like i don't know going into like Mexican-American culture and then talking about your experience with your cousins but I think it's just I don't know if it's the editing or maybe she even set it up this way but sort of how she's talking about Mexican identity and then goes specifically into saying that her cousins didn't care about school and sort of like slacked off and you know didn't plan on going to college and like sort of uh, juxtaposing those two things it sort of makes you as the listener sort of I don't know assume that you know, because her cousins are more Mexican, like presenting or, I don't know, more culturally Mexican in their houses, that it's means that they don't have a good attitude about school or don't want to apply themselves or don't want to be in band or things like that. So yeah, so that kind of left a weird taste in my mouth. But again, you're right, like that's her experience in school. So I don't, and I don't necessarily think, you know, because she's praising her father that she means that being Mexican means to not apply yourself fully. I think it was just like her cousins and she's talking about middle school too. So who knows, but yeah, that, that also stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the storyteller uh, now, uh, this is, I'm bringing my sense of her to the story. So, but I feel like she's in a place where she's coming into awareness about identity specifically ethnic racial identity in this case. So there is some awareness, like I am choosing whiteness, I'm choosing my white friends, which I feel like requires a certain level of understanding of American racial hierarchy. At the same time, I do think that there's still a lack of awareness or a lack of full awareness of how racial hierarchy works in our culture. Um, so when she says, you know, I was in accelerated classes, doing theater, doing band, doing all these things that the kids in my school who are Mexican didn't do, she stops there and doesn't say like, or ask questions about like, why aren't the Mexican American kids doing those things? Like, it's just a, description of the reality rather than a questioning of it. And I think for the three of us, at least, who have thought about this so much, it just is pretty apparent how cultural stereotypes are getting played out. And so all of the conversations that we've had both on this show and off the show about the structures and systems that um, have created this segregation within schools between accelerated tracks and then like, I don't know what, what the normal or like even in this case, it feels like she says, you know, they slack off or um, they barely, they barely got through. That's when she was talking about how it was assumed of her that she couldn't be capable of accelerated classes. Anyway, so all of the conversations that we have about how school systems perpetuate that belief, anyway, it's not questioned at all by this storyteller. So I think 
when she gets to the end of her story and says, you know, working in the multicultural office has helped me take a look at what identity means. I feel like she's like at this new part of the journey, but it still seems like from our perspective of what we understand about racial identity in this country, that it's still pretty fresh for her and new. Like I'm imagining that she's still really thinking about, I don't know, like I, I don't hear it in this story, but I, I feel like she's starting to question, if not critique, that she chose whiteness. That, but that feels like I'm overstating it too. I mean, but she did, she does kind of say it though. She says like, you know, I made my white friends and she was talking about sort of choosing between the two. And yeah, I mean, I guess based on, you know, the conversation we've had so far, I guess it's now I'm sort of thinking alongside the track of, not now as she's reflecting on like being in the multicultural office, but before like her experience in, in middle school and high school, that it's sort of, um, I'm getting like waves of, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I understand that the perception of like Mexican American people is this, and I'm not gonna be like that. I'm gonna be the exception. And so it's, it feels like maybe she's sort of like fighting back against this sort of stereotype because it is being reflected on her, right? When they're not putting her in the accelerated classes. So she seems frustrated by it that people are, are assuming a lot about her. And so she wants to sort of like, I don't know, fight back against those stereotypes by calling up the school and saying, hey, I should be in these accelerated classes. Why are you doing this? And so it seems like by doing that, she sort of resents the fact that maybe her cousins aren't doing the same thing, that aren't sort of fighting back against that sort of stereotype that people are holding them to. And so she gets, I don't know, maybe she's just sort of irked that like, you know, people are holding this and she's doing something, you know, to apply herself. And she's, and you know, she's sort of holding her cousins accountable as if they're the reason that this stereotype is being placed on her. So, I mean, it, it makes more sense to me that she sort of has this experience and sort of, I don't know, chooses to hang out with her white friends because she's sort of, I don't know, experiencing these stereotypes in a different way, which, yeah, I don't know. So that makes more sense to me that she's sort of fighting against it, but now sort of, I'd be really interested to hear like, you know, I don't know, maybe some of the questions that she's thought about after, you know, working in the multicultural office, like if she sort of recognizes that that's something that she did sort of try to bring yourself above the stereotype type of thing. I don't yeah, know, for I me, actually, yeah, I actually, I feel like a lot of this is family. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to think about it in terms of the first story too, because the father here is very much it feels like just from the little hints she gives at the beginning we're in America we're going to speak English so I feel like he himself is choosing American culture in the sense of what our first storyteller was talking about with like the um, individualism so we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're different from the rest of our family I'm marrying an American white woman and I want things for my children that I couldn't get in Mexico. And success for him seems to mean 
you know, education, um, at least for his daughter. And so I think she actually absorbed a lot of what he was giving her in terms of how he oriented towards his cultural heritage, having moved to America and having chosen America as his home country for him and his family. And I, I wonder, I mean, she doesn't in this story at least reflect at all, like how he might value Mexican culture, like what parts of it did she get in her life or did she get any of it? Um, and I think when I hear her talking about starting to embrace the fact that she's multicultural, I wonder which parts of Mexican heritage she's looking at there. And it seems like she's still really claiming Amer American stuff at the end here. Like he worked three jobs at one point, right? Like, I mean, that's the, like, I'm going to do this all. Well, I don't know. Now maybe that's my bias sneaking in. Like, why is that American individualism? Why isn't that Mexican work ethic that he would work three jobs? So that might be my own sense of bias coming in there. I wonder what you're thinking at this point, Reagan, since we circled back around. Um, I'm thinking, again, I have a friend who is in kind of a similar-ish situation, not quite, but she has a, a parent who is Argentinian, Argentinian, um, and he moved to America and married a white woman who is lovely. I love her mother. And just did refuse to teach his children Spanish. He took Chloe was like the first of the grandchildren. So he did take like her when she was like a toddler to Argentina to like meet his mother, but like had no other real like family up here, like didn't have the experience of like cousins, but has a very Argentinian like last name and um has like a very limited like cultural experience, but is also a white woman. So I think about the cultural disconnect that this person who is very dear to me has felt like due to that and like the desire for like a cultural connection and I also think about in high school I had several friends who were Mexican-American and I remember the kids that looked Mexican-American and were but their parents had also decided this is America we're going to speak English the limits of the cultural stuff they were taught were usually like some stuff on holidays and like some some staple foods and I remember having conversations with them and how they felt also like this kind of in between and and this discomfort with their identity due to like not being able to partake in in the same ways that it was deemed culturally acceptable yeah and I wonder if for this storyteller as she's in college, if she's meeting other Mexican-American or I would think in live, it doesn't have to be just Mexican-American, maybe Puerto Rican-American or like you're saying, Argentinian-American. If she's finding other people with this bicultural, bi-ethnic identity who share some experiences and desires that she has, because she, she does say when she's talking about middle school, and she's trying to make this choice about who she's going to hang out with. She says, would I hang out with my white friends who had the same interests as me and who wanted the same goals that I did? 
I, I think part of what she's feeling drawn towards is like shared experience. And for whatever reason, whether it's her dad's way of, you know, wanting to assimilate or it's the, uh, the first neighborhood that she grew up in because she said it was in middle school that they moved and then she was going to middle school with cousins on her dad's side somehow like what she cared about was shaped in a way that it wasn't shared with her cousins and now at college maybe she's finding other bicultural bi-ethnic students who who have those same desires for education and so she can then start to open up more to the uh, non-American part of her identity in ways that maybe weren't available to her before. Yeah, I, I think if I if I were interviewing her, I'd really want to know like how she feels about the way she thought or reflects on her Mexican cousins. Like, is that starting to shift for her? Was there any part of her that wanted to connect with them? as a middle schooler, but felt like she couldn't because she was white passing and like maybe they were rejecting her. It feels like there could be some judgment of her as a white passing person that I don't know that, we don't get to hear her talk through that in this, um, in this story. And so that's also interesting to think about because she presents it as her choice, but I wonder if people chose against her in some fashion too, and how that could be really painful. I don't know if that goes back to that first storyteller and like if she turns it into, like if she identifies with American individualism and turns it into her choice, like I'm going to choose my white friends, um, if that makes it easier for her instead of if there's any sense of the more Mexican, collective familial values that, that still resonates for her, it would be super painful then to be rejected by your cousins and their friends. And yeah, we don't get to hear about that. Okay, so yeah, so this reminds me of um, some storytellers that we've heard from in the past who are black, but white passing. And so when they're in like groups of white people, they'll often be subject to, I don't know, white people's notations of anti-blackness and how that can sort of I don't know permeate your understanding of your own identity and your sort of vision of your family and so I wonder if you know she does sort of choose this you know the white friends in the end because they have similar interests but I also wonder if some of that I don't know negative sentiment that she holds towards her cousins also just I don't know, you're in middle school, you're just kind of like, you know, you just sort of soak up everything around you and maybe not even consciously. And so I wonder if she's in these white circles and white passing, does she sort of get exposed to sort of anti-Mexican sentiments that have sort of, I don't know, shaped her understanding of what it means to be Mexican and, um, and also this desire to sort of I don't know, rise up above people's um, assessment of Mexican-American people. And so I wonder, yeah, like ultimately was that her choice to go, you know, with the white students? I mean, partially, but also, I don't know. I think maybe she was also just, we don't know what the school system was like where she was at. Was, was it in a place like Valparaiso that's majority white? And so you're gonna get 
a lot of people who have only interacted with white people before. So I don't know. So we don't necessarily know. But yeah, but I think part of it might not have even been her choice. She might just have sort of been assimilated into that sort of stereotyping of Mexican culture. But we don't know. Yeah, I think the painful thing here to recognize is how if she was conditioned to be white, and this is probably not by her family, although part of it could be, I suppose, but I'm thinking like you, Willow, of other situations she finds herself in is that part of what it means to be white is that you have to be racist. You know, like if you don't, that we're just going to be conditioned that way given the culture that we are currently in and until we learn to really question and undo those damaging hierarchies like it's like if you decide to make your white friends are you also deciding to be anti-mexican i think in this case it feels like it feels like she did and that's that's so for me as a white person, that's really sobering to think about because I wouldn't necessarily have that second culture uh, against which I might be able to see that I was actually absorbing the racism of being white in this culture. So I've had to learn that in this other, in other ways. Anyway, it's, I don't know, it's just very poignant. <laughs> Reagan, do you have a final thought before we sign off today? Uh, no, just that like your last point was, um, like you said, very sobering. And it's it's definitely something to think about when you're looking and evaluating like racism, both in yourself and in others, like what that looks like and what you give to white supremacy for the sake of assimilation. Well, before we head out today, please check out WVLP's full schedule of shows at WVLP.org. We highly recommend Morning Black, which airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and then is replayed Thursdays at 2 and Fridays at 9. Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge, that's what Morning Black stands for, focuses on the concerns and issues that impact underrepresented communities of color with a particular interest in the African-American communities within Western culture. Morning Black provides a platform for discussing the issues and problems that inhibit equality and justice in the African-American community. And it often has a strong focus on Northwest Indiana. So that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.balbo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support.